It is the first Ivy League four-team softball championships. And ladies and gentlemen, you know where I am. I am in Princeton, New Jersey. We're getting ready today. Yale taking on Harvard, Epic, and Columbia, the four-seed, taking on the one-seed. That's right, the Princeton Tigers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Last night, I don't know what you saw, but what I saw was Steph Curry saying, oh, hell no. You know how I am. Oh, hell no. Uh, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We ain't having it. We're not. No, third quarter. It gets close. Steph Curry says, whap, 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 whap. Next thing you know, old street clothes. He gets knocked in the head. Next thing you know, Anthony Davis is out. LeBron's on the bench. And Jordan Poole is mopping up in garbage time. I'm not surprised. Neither are you. Uh, we put it out yesterday at some point, a sassy little parlay of Knicks and, of course, the Golden State Warriors. I think most people felt like Golden State was going to win. I got a monster for you today, and I need you to stay right here. Tommy Tuberville, two-time coach of the year at the SEC, also state senator from the great state of Alabama. Remember, he's the one that said about transgender women and Megan Rapino. if Megan Rapino had to play against men, she would be working at a Piggly Wiggly at Walmart, or nobody would have heard from her. We're going to talk to Coach Tuberville about that, but you know the news of the day. I'm going to get into the Knicks in a second. Hang in there with me. You know the news of the day is, of course, the schedule leak of the NFL. Now, I got to tell you, is this not amazing? And I'm asking all of you out there. Is this not fascinating that the NFL can make their schedule release a week-long celebration leading up to a release of the schedule tonight that literally means nothing other than you know when your team is going to play? And if you are a fan, you're going to get out your phone, you're going to start looking, and you're going to say, where in the hell? Am I going on a road trip? Uh, I think I'll go there. I think I'll go there. And then the beauty of it is this. The beauty of it is, well, there's been a lot of leaks. Like the Bears play the Packers opening day, 425 in Chicago. Uh, apparently, for the first time since I don't know when, non-Thanksgiving, opening day is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against, ladies and gentlemen. Think about this for just a second. Just think about this. Against the Detroit Lions. Now, give me that. When's the last time the Detroit Lions were ever on national TV other than on Thanksgiving Day? You and I both know we got to sit through the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day. Of course we do. You know, I know we all got to do it. We don't want to do it, but we got to do it. I don't want to sit through the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day. I do not want to do that. But now we get to sit through them because Dan Campbell has made the Detroit Lions interesting. Dan Campbell is the opposite of Frank Reich. He is Frank Reich opposite. He is the uh, what's Marlboro man to Dylan Mulvaney. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, I have an official beer that I am going to announce. My official beer of the summer is going to be announced today, and Lee's is as well. Dan, can you run for president? I think I should. I do. I I I, I think I need to. I think the Mer America needs me in the Oval Office because we would have a hell of a lot of fun. We would have an absolutely great time. But look, here is the deal. The deal is simple. You got a notification for this, Fred, because it's the greatest morning show in the history of the world. We're getting new, new viewers. And here you go, because this, ladies and gentlemen, will addict you. Ask the people on the chat. You shall be addicted to our show. All right. Here's the other deal. Trump was great last night. It happened. CNN's mad that it was all Republicans. I'm not going to get into that. There's a lot of places that you can get into that. But I do want to get the schedule release and discuss this. Can you believe this? You saw the crowds 
at the NFL draft. You saw them. It was insane in Kansas City. It was nuts. It's like, holy crap. When they did that drone shot over and they came flying in and you saw all of the people in the, what is it called, the electric district or whatever they call it, it was unbelievable. Well, the NFL just keeps going. They just keep going. So earlier this week, to build up to what we're going to see tonight, what did we have? I'll tell you what we had. We had the release of the international series. They even got a name for it. No, it's a bunch of teams that are losing home games that are going overseas to expand on what the Sam Hell, the NFL, is trying to do, which is take every dollar out of your pocket and into theirs. That's what the NFL is trying to do. You know this. I know this. Let's not BS each other. But I got to tell you, it is entertaining. So when the schedule is released today, here's what you're going to have. It's the start of something. And I want to walk you through this because everybody asks me, who do you like over unders? Boy, I really like this. And we talked a little bit about it with Chris Felica, the bear yesterday. It's the start. All right, let me walk you through one of the most important things. Gene Cady said this a long time ago. Sometimes it's not who you play. It's when you play. Them. And when you play them, is it after a bye? When you play them is not always decided by the schedule. Quarterbacks hurt. We play them the next night. When you play them, quarterback's out. He's just coming back after being on the, on the bench for four or five weeks. When you play him, star wide receivers out. Sometimes the when you play him, as you know in the NFL, is that nasty Thursday game. That Thursday game seems to, seems to kind of bring bad back to good and good back to bad, if that makes any sense, because the games have been horrible. So that's the start of where we're going to ultimately get to, which is we're going to bet a ton of season over season unders in the NFL this year. This is the start. Well, actually, the draft was the start. We got a little feel because there were certain trades. We got a little feel for, okay, we know Aaron Rodgers is going to be with the Jets. We know the Colts are probably going to start Anthony Richardson. We don't know what's going to happen with Will Levis, although we are hearing that they, meaning the Titans, are looking to get rid of Malik Willis, which is crazy to me after one year. But, hey, that's the, fl- that's the plight of the NFL quarterback. You either do or you get gone. I like the little white strip down the side of my face. I think I look very sexy. It's like a gray beard that is just kind of coming in. You know, it hasn't gone across my face yet, but it's a gray beard. So, anyway, that's what we're looking at today. We've got a number of people. We're going to have Tommy Tuberville on. He's going to talk about that. Ross. Uh, I can't wait. Ross Tucker will tell you exactly what everybody's looking for as we move towards the schedule. And then we've got a guy named Chris Krim. Coming up at 10 o'clock, we've all heard about the horrific deals at the border. We've all heard about how horrible it is yesterday. Massive shooting. You all saw that. It was terrible. No good. Well, a lot of things are happening. He was the border chief in El Paso, Arizona. He knows more about this than anybody. And we wanted to have him on because we want to keep telling the truth on this show in areas not just related to NBA, not just related to NFL and sports. We want to continue telling the truth about what is going on in this great nation of ours. All right. Speaking of that, last night, it was the easiest parlay. I'm not going to lie to you. I, you know what? I, the Knicks were not going to lose last night. I'm sorry. And neither was Golden State. I mean, we've talked about it on this show. A lot of you that have not watched the NBA are starting to watch the NBA. 
you're starting to like the NBA, and I ain't mad at you. See, the NBA has lost all the crap. The NBA is now giving us really good basketball. The NBA is now getting up and down the court, shooting the ball, doing all the things that we enjoy the NBA doing. Instead of sitting there with LeBron James with a two pages in Malcolm X book or somebody trying to tell us all how to live. I don't need to be told how to live by anybody other than my late father and my mother. That's it. That's all I got. But, but the NBA playoffs are absolutely heating up. They're on a roll. They're rocking and rolling. They're shaking and baking. And I can't wait to continue to watch. But that was the easiest parlay of the night last night. Maybe one of the easiest you're ever going to have this time of year. You know, Ross Tucker uh, is involved in a lot of things. The Ross Tucker podcast is absolutely fantastic. Draft, preseason, you name it, football-wise, Ross Tucker's played it, coached it, done everything you want to do in it. And he's nice enough to join us now. When I um, And he's an incredibly handsome man who looks good on TV, which balances out the look. Ross, I, I would have more respect. I would be in a better studio in my house. But it is my stepdaughter, Harvard softball weekend. We're in the championships. Uh, my, my stepdaughter is a senior third baseman. I am here in Princeton, uh, and I'm wearing all Harvard since we got in last night. That's it, Ross. So I that, apologize. That for is this amazing. Look. Well, first of all, let's go, Tigers. I, I didn't Ooh. know that, but I'm I'm wearing my Princeton gear. You know, Dan, you're gonna appreciate this, okay? Especially since your stepdaughter goes to Harvard. So I played in the league from 01 to 08, right? So all I had was all this like redskin, cowboy, bills, patriots, like the old cotton stuff, right? Yeah. So I wore that from like 2008 to 2011 because that was like the free stuff I had. Well, I lost weight and I realized the cotton stuff wasn't where it's at. You know, it's like the dry fit stuff now, right? Well, the only people that send me stuff is Princeton. Because, you know, I, I went there and every time I would go back to Princeton and do a game on TV for NBC Sports Network or whatever, they'd give me like a gym bag full of stuff. So fast forward a couple of years, my daughters are in preschool, okay? And I got kind of a flexible schedule, right? So I drop them off, I pick them up. Then all the other parents, you know, it's like a nice preschool, right? They're all looking at me. Like I'm that academic snob that wears the Princeton stuff every day. They're looking at me like, like by the third week, I could just see some of the other dads were like, we get it, dude. You went to Princeton, like we get it. Like, meanwhile, I'm wearing like Crocs or whatever I'm wearing, right? So um, I told that story once. James Franklin, I live in central PA, right? Like Harrisburg, Hershey. And James Franklin was here down the street recruiting Micah Parsons oh. as a junior in high school. And I told Franklin that story and he starts laughing, whatever. I don't think anything of it. Four days later, Penn State was on their bye week. Four days later, okay, they're playing Michigan, whiteout Saturday night. I get a big box sent to my house. I open it up. It's all Penn State gear with a handwritten note from Franklin that says, Good seeing you Saturday. Needed to get you some other stuff to wear around town so everybody doesn't think you're a snob. I mean, like he, dude. People ask me like why he's successful. Like that's like that guy is yeah. on it. He is on it. That's. I uh, don't come down to our level, Ross. You're all Ivy League. Don't don't drop down to the. I went to Indiana. Don't come down to the Big Ten level. 
We think we're academic. Hell, I, I, I remember my first day at IU as a basketball player. I stopped at a stop sign. Guy ran up to me. He said, hey, Dan, what degree do you want? We just pass him out here at Indiana. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, don't come. Don't come. To Dan, Dan, I'm quite I, sure you probably could have gone to Ivy League if you wanted, but you were no, such a high level recruit. No. That you went to the best basketball program. Uh, I will tell you very quickly a story. Harvard called me because I sent out the little questionnaire that I had a 4.8 grade point average. This is a true story. Calls me, Dan, we thought you were going to Indiana. I said, you know, I, Harvard's different. I would love to go, you know, the Ivy League. He goes, says here you got a 4.8. Ross, swear to God. I said, well, yeah, but it's on a six-point scale, which was true. I go, it's on a six-point scale. The guy could not have been more polite hanging up on me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's funny, by the way. My daughters, Dan, both play softball, so that's great that your stepdaughter's there and playing. Like, if if my daughters somehow were able to play, uh, you know, in the Ivy League softball, that's incredible. So um, kudos to her for being able to accomplish that because that is that is big time. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is our third time at Princeton. I love this place. I, I love Harvard. I like walking around. But I, I think Princeton, the downtown, the places we found to eat, uh, terrific. All right, let's get to the matter at hand. It is scheduled day. You are a player. Take yourself back. Are, do you do you beg or want or, or think about national games, Monday night, how many, Maybe how little Thursday, you know, Sunday, the big night, you know, that kind of thing. Are you thinking about that? Oh, so Dan, I'm so glad you brought this up, right? So first of all, the first thing every player looks at, almost every player, is when the bye week is, right? <laughs> like, like, hey, uh, maybe that's when uh, your alma mater has homecoming or something, high school or college. Or, you know, maybe it's, maybe that's the, that just happens to be the weekend where your idiot best friend who's selfish is getting married in the fall, even though you're a professional football player, I'm talking to you, George, and you can't go to the wedding, maybe it matches up where you can actually go to the wedding. I miss like, I mean, Dan, when you're in your 20s, there's nothing like a wedding. I missed at least four. I mean, my one buddy got married in August. I'm at training camp. I'm 320 pounds. It's like 95 degrees out. I got to get up at 6 a.m. the next morning to go run into 340-pound monsters. And my wife's texting me, I'm having so much fun. Oh, this, I'm like, oh, thanks. Thank you. I'm glad you're having fun while I'm, you know, getting my balls busted and be getting the crap beat out of me. So first thing guys look at is the bye week for the reasons I mentioned. Then it's probably Thursday night games because Thursday night games, you get that weekend off too. It's funny because I, I see, I would say, Dan, it might be 50-50. There are some guys that don't like Thursday night game because they don't like the short week, right? I loved it. I'll tell you why. There's no practice that week. Like you play Sunday. You basically just have walkthroughs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You play Thursday night. Everybody's watching you. And then you get another weekend off. I love. I play on. I started uh, one of those game balls behind me. I started on Thanksgiving for the Cowboys in '02. That was great. I came home the next morning to Pennsylvania. It was my fifth year high school class reunion that night. I started the day before for the Cowboys. Like if you said when I was in high school, 
What do you want to do before your fifth? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe start for the Dallas Cowboys day before that. Yes. To walk into my fifth year high school reunion. The other thing that's interesting, Dan, and I don't know what the, there's probably no equivalent in hoops, right? But it's probably 50-50 how guys feel about primetime games. So you got the guys that love the primetime. They love the spotlight. They love playing under the lights. But if you're in a primetime game, you still have to be in a hotel the night before. So you just sit in the hotel all day doing nothing, and it sucks. Whereas if you have a Sunday 1 o'clock game, man, you get up Sunday morning, you get to the stadium, you play, and then after the game, you're tailgating, you're going out to dinner. You know, you can do fun things after that. So a, a lot of the guys, guys like me, like the Sunday at 1. Uh, the wide receivers probably like the primetime games. When I became the head coach at Bowling Green State University, the first thing I did was change the Saturday game from 8 o'clock at night until a noon start unless TV was involved because I hated sitting around all day waiting for a freaking game. So I get it. And by the way, had I started the night before with the Cowboys and went to my fifth high school wedding or a reunion, Michelle Metz might have talked to me. She might have talked to me. Now oh, we're 60 years old. You know what I mean? Dan, I, I specifically made a point to say hi to all the girls that weren't interested in me in high school. <laughs> it's like, hi, Jill. How are you doing? Oh, hey, Barbara. How are you doing? How, what'd you do yesterday? Did you have fun? Oh, no, I had to work, unfortunately. Yeah, I had to work a little bit. Yeah, it was cool, though. We won the game. It was on TV. There were like 30 million people. Watch. I don't know if you heard about it. I played for the Cowboy. You ever heard of him? <laughs> uh, I, but you're a good-looking guy. I needed stuff like that. Like, you could walk in. You know, I've, I've been carrying this load for my whole life. I needed, like, you know, I think I wore my Indiana basketball uniform after a game when I went home one one Saturday to a party. I'm like, hey, guys, remember me? You know, I, I got I got this. Hey, let me let me ask you, because I, I got a lot of Indiana, Indianapolis people watching. Yeah, Your I bet. on Richardson? What do you think? Well, first of all, let me tell you this, Dan, because I do all the Eagles preseason games on TV. And I do all the Eagles pregame. So I know Steichen really well. That guy's awesome. Like, I don't know if you've talked to him yet, but Steichen's awesome. I mean, whether it was in the meetings, on the practice field, or even like before games, I would talk to him for a while. That guy gets it. He's awesome. And I was thoroughly impressed with what he did with the Eagles offense the last year and a half. And I said the entire pre-draft process, they're taking Richardson. I knew they were taking Richardson. I mean, all that Levis stuff, I never bought it. Shane Steichen, two things. Number one, he has the template for how to develop a kid like Richardson, right? Like the first year with Hertz, it was heavy run, heavy quarterback run, and they were successful with it, mixing in the past, a lot of RPO stuff. Second year, they expanded things a little bit. And I think he has the template, the blueprint for how to use Richardson and Indy like he did with Hertz. Here's the other thing, Dan. And I do a college game every Saturday for CBS Sports. Like, once you have a quarterback that can run as a coordinator, a play caller, there's no going back, bro. There's no going back. Because those guys realize how much easier it makes everything. You know, I mean, it cleans up the passing lanes. You, it puts the defense in a bind. It's real hard to go back. I didn't think Levis was a good enough runner. 
Frank, I didn't think Stroud was a good enough runner. I thought Steichen, I believe if he had choice of all three of those guys, I believe he would have taken Richardson because of the running element and Steichen now knowing just how impactful that is as a play caller and play designer. We're getting a lot of smoke thrown at us. Uh, and, uh, you know, separate this for me. Well, they're going to not play him. Well, they're going to play him. Well, it's a, you're talking about Steichen. He's a, he's a first-year head coach. He doesn't care. Your first year. I, I'm playing Richardson. Your thoughts on how much does Richardson play and does he do it early? I think he'll play as soon as Steichen feels like he knows the offense well enough that he won't really hurt the team, the other players, and or potentially himself, right? In other words, he won't be like ready, ready. But I think as soon as Steichen feels like he can call a pretty decent portion of the offense and that Richardson's not going to not know what he's doing. Because here's what you don't want, Dan. You don't want to put a kid out there and he doesn't know the protections and doesn't realize this guy from over here is going to be unblocked and he's going to get ear hold. You know, you can't have that, right? He can watch for a couple, he can watch Minshew for a couple weeks if that's the case. But I tend to think based on what I've heard about Rick, like he's evidently like this great kid. I mean, everybody you yeah. talk to, I haven't talked to him, but everybody you talk to says he's like this unbelievable great kid and so my guess is that they'll probably have him up to speed ready to play pretty early if not right away you know uh what are your thoughts let's move to other teams you know let me stay in the AFC South real quick we're talking about um Stroud going to the Texans Levis going to the Titans are either of those guys Stroud's got to be impactful right what do you see out of him what do you see out of Levis so I wasn't that high on either one of those guys. And I'm no, like, quarterback guru, right? But, man, you watch Ohio State, Dan. And, like, two years ago, I swear every throw Stroud made, Olave or Garrett Wilson, there was nobody within 10 yards of them. Right. Nobody, I mean, they're playing, like, IU or Purdue or something, and Chris Olave runs a deep post. There's nobody within 20 yards of the guy. like. And 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 they have he has two first round offensive tackles or high pick off like it's like he's never under duress. The guy I think that's why it's been a struggle for the late Dwayne Haskins for Fields and initially and really the last couple of years throwing the ball. I think it's just so much easier at Ohio State. It's not, it's not their fault, but it's just so, like the NFL is just harder. The guys aren't as open, and the pocket's a lot tougher, a lot tougher. You don't have a, a clean pocket. So I think that's going to take some getting used to for Stroud to realize, whoa, this isn't Ohio State, you know, against Northwestern anymore. This is a lot harder than that. And then for Levis, I, I didn't think Levis was going to go in the first round. To me, I called him um, I called him Kmart, Dan. And it's not like a knock on Levis. It's my dad was a um, my dad sold chocolate chocolate easter bunnies for 30 years okay so he would sell it to like cvs and walmart and target or whatever and he told me when kmart was going out of business he's like kmart's done i was like why he's like they're in the middle i'm like what do you mean he's like 
Well, if somebody just wants the cheapest thing, the lowest price, they go to Walmart. If someone wants, like, just needs something right now, right, for their house, but they want something a, a little bit nicer, they go to Target or Target, right? Like, nobody went to Kmart anymore because they were in the middle. They weren't the cheapest, but they weren't the nicer thing either. That was Levis, right? Like, Levis wasn't the polished pocket passer like Stroud. Levis is, he needs to be developed. He also, though, wasn't like the high-end, crazy size, speed, arm like Richardson. So I thought whoever's going to draft at the, like the Texans or the Colts, they either want the upside or they want the ready-to-go guy, and Levis kind of got stuck in the middle. He might end up being a, a really good player, but I just didn't think there was a great argument to take him over the other guys. When, when, when you looked at – all right. This is stupid, but let me just ask. So you saw that was that the C two score, whatever it was on yeah, Stroud, yeah. and then S two cognition, yeah, cognition test. Yeah, I, I think Levis has a punchable face, so I, I don't want to draft him because I just think he has a punchable face. I do. Well, my question about Levis, and I've thought about this. Okay, who's the last quarterback like that, Jack? That yoke, like the pictures when he's in the bathroom and he takes it and there's like muscles upon muscles, like his back. And look, more power to him. I'm going to the Jersey Shore this weekend. God, I wish I looked like Will Levis. <laughs> I would never wear a shirt ever. But it's funny, Dan. I can't think of like a single Hall of Fame quarterback that's all shredded and jacked and yoked up like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, Cam Newton was pretty jacked. Brady Quinn, pretty jacked. But, like, who's the Hall of – like, when I played in New England with Brady, all he ever talked about was, like, being flexible and pliable. And I don't even know really what pliability or pliable means, but that's what Brady was looking for. And you look at Levis, like, he doesn't look real flexible to me. Maybe he is, but he looks like he's all, like, like all muscle-bound. Right. But you don't get into the punchable face, and that's probably good. I just, I just, as a coach, I look at some guys and I'm like, yeah, I think it's a fraud. But hey, look, he, he, you said it. I mean, he's got an arm. Hey, where are you at with the whole running back thing? Bijan Robinson goes early. Saquon Barkley doesn't get the money, or at least yet, that he wants. Where, where are you at with running backs? Yeah, um, I think I'm fine with you taking him. At certain spots, like a Bijan Robinson or a Gibbs, my issue is the money. Then, you know, for example, right, like Bijan Robinson, he gets a four-year, fully guaranteed deal for twenty-two million dollars, which isn't like crazy money, but that's also tied for the third most guaranteed money for any running back. Now he'll be a rookie, so he'll probably end up you know, playing the four years and you'll probably be fine with it. But I don't know. There's something weird about drafting a guy that's never played and he's already got the third most guaranteed money in the league at his position. In other words, like there's a reason why these teams don't give other running backs those type of guarantees. Yet this guy gets it, you know, right out of college. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Not a great secret. People seem to think this was happening, and it ended up happening. Uh, AFC quarterbacks, not bad. Really, really good. Uh, where are you at with Rodgers going to the Jets? And where are you at with the Jets? Well, so you know this, Dan, right? Like pro sports, 
are about self-interest and people doing things that are best for them. And that's fine. It's pro sports, right? Like this is your profession. You're trying to do what you can. This is about the GM and the head coach wanting to get contract extensions. I mean, it's the fifth year for the GM, Joe Douglas, who I like. Third year for the head coach, Robert Sala. I think they kind of know they got to make the playoffs this year, Dan, or they're done. So I felt like they overpaid for Rodgers with the the one next year. But guess what? They're going to make the playoffs now, more than likely. And the owner is going to be thrilled. They make the playoffs for the first time since like 2011 or something. They're selling all kinds of merch and season tickets and luxury box. They make the playoffs. So then Joe Douglas gets a big extension. Salah gets a big extension. Everybody's happy. And then they'll figure out what to do after that. But I, I thought they gave up too much. But how much is too much if it's not really your money and it's not really your future draft picks if you get fired? You know, um, this is great. I got to ask because you played for Belichick. I don't care what anybody says. Maybe it goes away now. But the divorce was always going to be, here's what Brady did without Belichick. Here's what Belichick did without Brady. And Brady won that to this point. Uh, are you buying Mac Jones? Now the division's a little bit tougher. You buying what Belichick can do as a general manager still? Where are you at with that? No, I mean, Dan, I think there's a very good chance they're the worst team in that division. It's kind of it's kind of amazing to say, right? The Dolphins yes. look good, the Bills are the Bills, and the Jets obviously getting Rodgers are better. It's kind of remarkable how things have changed for the Patriots, right? I mean... They've made the playoffs one out of the last three years since Brady left. Unlikely to make them this year. Likely to be the worst team in the division. I'm really curious to see the dynamic in New England if they go like 7-10 and 10 this year, right? They go 7-10, and 10 and I mean, do people in the media start to say the unthinkable? Like maybe move on from Belichick? Does Robert Kraft start to see... Less people in the stands, less people watching on TV. I, I don't know. I mean, it's very difficult when you had the success they've had. It's hard to get people to tune in or get people to come to the games when they're used to a team that's going to the Super Bowl every year. And now there's like no expectations for this team this year. What? What? Let me just go this route. So you mentioned seven and 10, which I think would be a disaster. Uh, given where they've been the last few years. Maybe I'm overstating that. But what would be acceptable? Because it's obvious, and you know this better than anybody, as, and you just said it, the bar is not nearly as high as what it once was. I always felt like when you guys were there and it was Gronk and it was Brady and it was, you know, Hernandez, you know, you, Super Bowl, let's go. What What is the bar that, that makes it acceptable? Yeah, I mean, my uh, and when I was there in 05, I played a little bit against the Broncos in the divisional round, and uh, we lost. And that was a huge disappointment, you know, to lose in the divisional round. In fact, Dan, I think Brady was 10-0 and in playoff games until they put me in. That, that was the <laughs> only playoff game I ever got in in my career. Because my other six years... We didn't, uh, I think I only made the playoffs one year and I was hurt. So the only playoff game I ever played in was Brady's first loss. 
that's like one of my claim to fames, right? Like I, I ruined his impeccable streak, but it, no, it was a disappointment. I mean, it was, it was disappointing because they didn't even get to the conference championship game. Look, I had played for Buffalo the two years before and it started against the Patriots three times. So I was like, my wife and I are already talking about who we're going to give the Super Bowl tickets to. I was like, we're on, I'm, I'm finally with the team that wins it every year. This is amazing. So um, I think they got to win nine games. I, I think nine and more, you can at least argue winning record. We're building this around a young quarterback still, blah, blah, blah. I think they have a losing season or worse, and it'll get really interesting because I don't think – I have to look how many games Belichick is away from breaking Shula's all-time record because I'm sure Kraft would love for him to break that record in New England, but, like, what if it's going to take him three or four more years because they're only winning six or seven games? If you were the NFL czar and you had the, the ability to put teams on national TV, uh, I'm going to assume that it would be the Chiefs. If it's not the Chiefs, who? And take the Chiefs out of it if it is. Who Who do you want to see on national TV the most? Well, I know who they would say because they would say the um, the Cowboys because their right, ratings reflect right. it. This year, the Jets because of Rodgers and the big market. Totally get that. Um, but for for me, for my personal benefit, I kind of like the Lions. Um, it just came out, Dan, that the Lions are playing opening night at Kansas City, which is pretty cool. Um, I really like, I mean, like, dude, Lions fans. I mean, I really like when teams that have been so bad for so long and haven't given their fans anything through, like, like I, I'm telling you right now, Lions fans, unbelievably loyal, Jets fans, the Browns fans might be the best. I mean, the Browns have given them like nothing over the years to be proud. And those people are still diehard, like diehard. So I kind of like, I want to see the Lions. Dan Campbell's a former teammate of mine in Dallas. He's an awesome guy. And I just like when the perennial also rans, especially the long time also ran. I like when they're good. I, 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 there's something about this Lions team I like. Last thing, you know what I like about the Lions? And this goes way, way back. I mean, way back to when I was a little kid and Jim Plunkett was the Heisman Trophy winner. And in our world, we didn't, I never saw Jim Plunkett in college. We didn't have the games on CBS, you know, Sportsnet and all this other stuff. So you heard about him and then you see him in the NFL. He struggles like hell, can't play everybody. And then he comes back and wins Super Bowls with the Raiders. I don't know if Jared Goff's going to do that. But I like those kind of things, I guess, going back to Plunk. that makes sense? Totally agree. I love redemption stories. I love any time, like, a player or a coach that people have said can't do it when they do it. Because right. I can't stand when people – like, when Marvin Lewis with the Bengals never want to play off game, never want to play – like, I, I, I hate that. Because it just becomes like a crutch that people use when they don't know what else to say about somebody. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and I'm I look. I don't know what's going to happen. I hope everybody. You know, I, I want the Colts to be good because people get excited. Hey Ross, thanks man. Hey, what? Whoa, 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 whoa! Best Mother's Day present ever. What do we got? All right, so I'm, I'm telling you this, Dan, because I, I I know you probably and a bunch of your list. I know your mom. This is awesome. This kind of gives away because I read recently that your mom listens or watches every show. 
So yeah. maybe not the best gift. Although, actually, you know what? Maybe now she'll put a guilt trip on you to get her one. Um, I got this company that I'm I'm partnering with. It's called MyFrontPageStory.com. Dan, you literally talk to one of their writers for 10 minutes while you're driving home from work or driving to Steak and Shake or whatever, right? You tell them how great your mom is or how great your wife is. They write this unbelievable story with pictures of her. It looks like it's on like the cover of the Indie Star. It's phenomenal, right? And I've seen it so many times now. You hand it to them. They start opening it. They're like, what is this? Dan, it is so money when you say to them, I had a story written about you. Like, they're like, what? Like, they think that you, like, commissioned Bob Kravitz or somebody, like, to write this, like, amazing story. And then the quotes, like, my my sister and I got one from my mom. And my, my, my when my mom read the quote that said, I wouldn't be the woman I am today without my mom for my sister, she started bawling, bawling. And my mom's in her 70s now, so she's got one of those, like, townhouse condo deals where like the family room and dining room and kitchen are all like one room she has it hanging up right there right there so <laughs> it, it is the best gift ever it's the gift that keeps on giving because they hang it up in the house myfrontpagestory.com trust me myfrontpagestory.com I'm, i just wrote it down uh, i've got a lot you know there's a lot of downtime in softball so while i'm there I'm calling one of these dudes, and I'm going to see if I can get. If I don't get it by Mother's Day, I don't care. That's no. Here, here's the deal. Anytime. Here's the deal, Dan. Order it myfrontpagestory.com, and then you know they're not going to be able to get it for you by Mother's Day at this point. Right. But guess what? You print it out. You print out the order form. You put it in a card or an envelope, and you give it to your wife or your mom, whoever on Mother's Day, and you say, "I wanted something special this year, so I'm having a story written about you." Dan, imagine the anticipation for your right. mom or your wife as they're waiting for that story to get there. It's going to kill them. Like, what's in the story? Like, what do they write about me? Who, who they're like, it's almost better this way. It's almost better to give it to them just in an envelope with the order that showed you got it ahead of time, but then they don't actually have the story yet. They'll just, they'll be at night waiting to read this story. It's myfrontpagestory.com. I got it. Uh, MyFrontPageStory.com. I'm on it. Swear to God. Show's over at 11. I'll have, I'll have, I, they will be our, somebody will be on the phone with me by 11.15. I swear to God. I, that's the greatest thing that I have heard. And I'm all Especially in on it. Especially for you, Dan, because you're always getting articles written about you every time you tweet something or say something. Your wife and your mom never get anything written about them because right. they're not controversial, but they're awesome. They deserve a story. They actually deserve a story about how they tolerate you all these years. Right. And how they handle you. Right. Right. And I can tell them how they screwed me up. Yes, it's <laughs> G. <laughs> hey, man, thanks. It's the Ross Tucker Podcast. Well, what you got going this week? What's on? Yeah, man. So, honestly, it's a, it's a daily show. So, if you want football in 25 minutes or less, listen to Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Yesterday, we had Greg Cosell breaking down Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. He's the NFL films legend. I'm actually recording uh, today's episode, Dan, tonight with Michael North, the director of broadcasting from the NFL. So right when the schedule comes out, I'm going to be on it with Mike being like, okay, why'd you do this? Isn't it unfair that the Jags get back-to-back London games? Why did you do that? Tell me about this. So if you want to learn about the NFL schedule, how they do it, and get all the questions answered, check out the Ross Tucker podcast tonight or tomorrow morning with Mike North. He's the scheduling guy for the NFL. Beautiful.
MyFrontPage.com and Ross Tucker Podcast. Go Crim. With, actually, I don't know if you know this, but Harvard and Princeton co-champs. Harvard two seed, Princeton one seed because, the well, the Tigers got one two Honestly, out of three Dan, over I, here. I, hope, I, 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 I can say in all sincerity, I help, hope the Harvard kids win because I hope that eases the sting a little bit of them not being able to get accepted to Princeton. You know what I mean? Oh. Like I know at night, I know at night it bothers them still when oh. they go to bed and they realize they oh. couldn't go to the number one school in the country. Oh. So if winning a softball game helps to ease that pain and that burden, well then good for those girls. I hope it happens for them. And you're damn right it will, pal. Yeah, it will. It'll ease everything. It makes up for everything for a faulty admissions department here in Princeton. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> thanks, Russ. Thanks, Brian. See you, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. man. Thanks for coming on. How fun was that? That was an absolute blast. Go to the Ross Tucker Podcast. I got David saying I did my front page story for my wife for Mother's Day. It's amazing. Tears coming on Sunday. True story. I will be all over. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. back we're gonna have coach and senator see tommy tuberville is such a diverse guy i I don't know whether to go with coach because i've always called people coach i gotta call him senator because he's a senator we're getting him hooked up right now one thing i did not touch on was bob huggins got spared yesterday bob huggins we all know couldn't have acted like a dummy dummy uh and the university of west virginia decided they were going to keep the legendary coach, and what they were going to do was take a million dollars of his salary. He was going to have to go to sensitivity training, and his contract was no longer a long-term contract. His contract is and was uh, reduced to a year-to-year. Got to tell you, that is what I don't care. Like people are saying, I wanted him canceled. I didn't want him canceled. I just want to tell you how dumb he was and what a cheat he was back in the day, at least relative to me. But Tom, Coach Tuberville. If you remember, when talking about uh, boys transitioning into women and playing women's sports, had a great line about Megan Rapino. He said that she would be working at a Walmart or, or a Piggly Wiggly. Uh, and you know what? He's right. I mean, look, I, women know. Like, I tell you all the time, my, my wife, legend. I am legend. She is legend. My wife's a freaking legend in the world of softball. And guess what? She'll tell you the same thing. Say the same thing. If she had a pitch against 73 mile an hour men throwing fastballs, no way. Although she could hit it, and she again was an all American, but it's not the same, and it shouldn't happen. And we should not put women in places where, ladies and gentlemen, they have to uh, compete against men. You know, I don't. When, when guys are so well rounded, I never know what to call them. So we have Senator Tuberville, we have Coach Tuberville, and before we start. I'm going with Senator. Uh, I got to apologize. My, your background looks very American. Mine looks like I'm doing it from the bathroom. But I got to tell you, Senator, 
My stepdaughter today starts the Ivy League championship. She's a stud third baseman. We are in Princeton. I'm wearing all Ivy League gear. I'm wearing all uh, Harvard gear. I apologize for the look, but it's for a reason, Coach. Well, there's nothing better than going to watch your kids participate in sports. I'm telling you, you know, I was a coach. Obviously, y'all know that, but I would leave practice and go watch my kids playing basketball, run track. I would not miss it. And I think that's one of the most important things that we do. We support our young people, especially our kids, in being the best they can be and show that we appreciate their hard work in in sports because sports are hard work no matter what level you're in. Coach, um, I want to get right into this. Uh, I have been, my wife is a legend in coaching in softball. She's a first-team All-American, took Toledo to the College World Series, all-time What'd winning. What did she marry you for? What she marry you? What's that? What did she marry you for? Well, she's, <laughs> she's also got all, here, she oh, got all this impaired <laughs> and down on her luck, apparently. But, Coach, <laughs> we are very big on I, this transgender thing. Uh, is making me nuts, making her nuts, where boys are playing against girls. Coach, you were very vocal about it, and I really appreciated you saying what you said. Thank you for that. Well, we got a bunch of morons running this show, uh, and uh, I don't care. This country gives you an opportunity to do what you want, right? I mean, be what you want. Think who you are. I don't care if you want to be a giraffe. Be a giraffe. But being unfair in terms of participating against other people, wrong. Uh, and I'm going to fight this tooth and nail. Uh, there's other people going to fight it. I, I need more people on my side speaking out uh, about this unfair. And, and and it's really unsafe. You've seen some of these things happen. The the transgender boy that, or whatever you call it, uh, you know, spiked the, the volleyball, hit the young girl in the head, put her in a hospital, really hurt her. Uh, it, it is a, it's unfair, unsafe, and it's downright wrong. And uh, uh, what, what does our country come to if we allow this to happen? It just makes no sense. The Democrats have lost their mind. They're following the far left, and uh, they're on this bandwagon now, and they think it's a winning issue for them. It is not, and uh, we're going to fight it. Coach, you're involved in these. You, you know, I always say I coached for a long time, college basketball, and I broadcast for a long time. But broadcasting, you don't know like you do when you're a coach. You don't know as a voter like you do as a senator. You mentioned, do you believe that Democrats, do you believe liberals actually believe this is a good thing for the country or is this just pandering for votes? Oh, you just hit it. It's pandering. Uh, There has got to be most of the, uh, the people on the left up here have daughters or granddaughters or nieces that love sports and if they believe that this is right it is either four votes or they've lost their damn mind uh it is you you can't make sense of any of this there's no sense but they are all in you know all the way from the white house down i mean they look at these issues thinking we can just add a few more votes here this place that i'm in right now in washington dc it's all about getting reelected care less about what happens to our country, happens to our kids, happens to the future, please vote for me to give me power to have a name up here. You know, I was a football coach. Football coach is a hell of a lot uh, better job than obviously, uh, you know, what I'm doing here. But I like what I'm doing because I'm standing up. I've actually had a job. Most of these people up here haven't had a job in their life. Uh, But they love being 
call a senator or a congressman a little bit of power. Uh, we close this place down for about three weeks out of every month, come up here and actually try to get something done for a few days because we don't get anything done here. It's a ring around the rosy here. Coach, as a football coach, it is every day you're trying to get something done. Every day you're trying to improve. Every day you want to see your team get better. Individuals get better. Offense, defense, uh, individuals. How frustrating is it for you, number one, based on what you just said? And, and let me go another way. How remarkable is it that the people actually running this are, as you said and Trump said last night, one morons, idiots, whatever you want to call them, it, 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 does it just stun you that this is the level of person running the country? It, it, shocking. I mean, this is the bottom of the barrel. Now, you've got some good people here, some good leaders, people that really want to do the right things, but they're few and far between. Uh, if, if you want to do this for a living for 40 or 50 years, uh, you've lost your mind. I mean, this is, this is not a place where you come and stay forever, but we need term limits. We got people who've been up here forever. The, the thing that, that I don't like about this place, it's all about seniority. Now, if you've been up here 30 years, I don't care whether you've got a, uh, uh, any sense at all. You've got a huge say-so, and that's the problem that we have here. Uh, people stay forever, and they ride around these black limousines with, with, with Secret Service agents, and most people don't have a clue who they are, could care less. I don't know why they need security. I walk to work every day, and... Uh, uh, it's um, just absolutely mind-boggling to me how we've gotten in this position of just people stay here forever. And they love they they couldn't do anything else, so I guess they're up here now. Again, I'm gonna go back and say this: there are really good people up here in some areas, but we got we got a lot more people up here that need to go home and mow their grass or or uh, get a real job for a few years and then run for run for a position because you'd actually know what the American people do. Uh, and how they're struggling and how we can help them. But most of them don't have a clue. Coach, um, the American people that I deal with want to know what can be done about three things. One, what can be done about this administration, this press secretary, this president, looking in the camera and lying every day. Two, and maybe I got this backwards, they want to know what the hell can be done about prices of food in the market, at the store, that kind of thing. How, how can this inflation come back? And three, quite frankly, I think people more and more, even in the Midwest where I live in Indianapolis, they're concerned about the border. Like, when is this going to hit us? Those are the three things American people hit me with all the time. There's others, obviously. What is your sense of those three things, starting with the line that we see every day from this administration? Well, I think that's pretty prerequisite to have a job up here on the hill in Washington, D.C. You can't really lie and and, and sell it to people. I, I think that's the, 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 you know, you won't last very long. So you've really got to uh, throw some big ones out there. My gosh, what we're seeing on TV, especially from this uh, young lady that's the, whatever she does, she comes out and says something about, well, I don't even want people to go to that, that, that hearing every day to listen to her read or read from a book. Uh, it, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me to be an American to know that somebody like that reads from a book and 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 just downright lies. Ninety percent of the borders uh, under control. Are you kidding me? Uh, people across the country better better wake up. No matter what's happening, inflation or bad education, crime, uh, all this stuff's going on. This is going to get us. This is going to bring our country to our knees. What's going on? I've been there several times. I've seen it. We've got people from Russia coming across China. We've got terrorists coming across. 
um, the drugs, but all that, but we're going to be overwhelmed. And I go to Europe a lot now uh, to meet with leaders and all those things. They have ruined their countries in Europe because of what happened back during the, the migration days after, after some of these countries just went nuts. And you look at the European countries, they are in turmoil because of all the people that they let in to change their culture uh, just because they think they were going to be nice. You have to have borders. You have to have borders to have a uh, country with laws and a constitution. But Joe Biden and his, his group, they're all globalists. They do not want borders anywhere. And I was on a plane the other day. I sat beside a lady from Canada. She goes, what are y'all doing here? You do not want to be what we are in Canada now. We have lost our country. We've got a dictator that's pretty much changed everything. And you got the same thing coming your way. And you're going to truly regret it. I'm sitting there listening to, to a lady just that lives it every day in Canada and the direction that we're headed. It, it, it's really sad. Oh, I, I went back and I kind of, Bill Clinton is a Democrat. Bill Clinton was very, very adamant about shutting down the border. He was very adamant about it. Politicians have been talking about this for years. What happened here that the ideology of the Democratic Party slash Biden slash extremists, whatever you want to call them, what happened here that that ideology switched from even, you know, Clinton's not that far gone. What happened here? They can't, the left cannot have anybody like Donald Trump become president again. And actually somebody that loves a country, that believes in it, that's had a job, that understands business, that understands budgets. Uh, you know, this place is so corrupt in our institution, the FBI, the CIA, everything that goes along with it. it, it it's just, we, we've lost it. Uh, you know, uh, you know they, they will get in these hearings, these the people from all these institutions just downright lie to you. And they've covered all this stuff up for years. They know they'll go to jail if we get a guy like Trump in there that can't run again, that has four years left, um, and or, or anybody on the Republican side that's going to do their job. I don't care who president. We've got to win that position. But it is it, it's it's all about power. They want everybody to come in. They're going to get if if they can somehow. That's the reason they're so mad at the Supreme Court that President Trump. Uh, got a majority in the Supreme Court because they know the Supreme Court will overrule them if they start going after the Constitution. But if they get the Supreme Court and all those things in the next few years, you can kiss us goodbye because this country, as we know, it will be gone. But they want everybody to be able to vote. They want to give amnesty to everybody coming across. They want to write more checks to the people. Listen, I'm on the Ag, Ag Committee. Uh, we're getting ready to write a farm bill. It's up to $1.5 trillion, this farm bill. Now, I'm for all helping our farmers. Only 7% goes to farmers, like uh, a little over 100 billion. The rest of it, 1.3 or 4 trillion, goes to giving out SNAP cards, food stamps, to people that sit on their butt and don't wanna to go to work. Now, I'm for helping people that can't, can't do anything, you know, the people that need help, but we got way too many freeloaders in this country. And if we don't change the direction uh, of that, it's not gonna make any difference, but they won't people to vote for them. And that's reading this border is wide open. Coach, I know you're busy. I cannot thank you enough. By the way, uh, Urban Meyer was my neighbor. He was a football coach at Bowling Green. I was a basketball coach at Bowling Green. We lived next to each other. We're great friends. I told him I was having you on. Uh, he wanted me to make sure that I told you hello. Uh, and thanks for running. I tell him, I said, he and I ought to run. I mean, if Coach Tuberville's doing it, let's go. Let's, let's get in there. But he wanted me to tell you hello. 
Well, Urban's a good guy. I think I'm the only guy who got a winning record over Urban. I beat him a couple of times at Auburn, and and uh, but uh, good friends, good coach, uh, and uh, you know he, he'd make a good politician. We need, again, not that I'm any gooder up here. I just got. I hope I got a little common sense, and I see what has happened because I've had a job traveling across the country, going to schools, parents' homes for years, and I saw the decline of our education, which is another huge problem that we got with these teacher unions out there because they are ruining our, our country through indoctrination. But that's for another another uh, time. Uh, but thanks for having me on. Uh, God bless you. God bless America. Coach, I hope you'll come back. Uh, thank you. I, I hope you're okay with me calling you coach. It's a sign of, you know, you you got so many titles, I don't know what to do. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Tuberville. That's uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville. Nice enough to join us. We're going to get right into the border. Chris Krim is the former patrol chief. Uh, of borders in Me in uh, Texas at El Paso. He is in Arizona. I mean, we're going to talk to him coming up here in a minute. What a great, great day. Hit that like button. Tell your friends. Let's go. I love this show. I'm going to tell you what. We're going to make this show the biggest in the country. This has me so fired up today. Aaron and Dylan and Ryan and everybody else. We're going to come back. Chris Krim's going to join us. Former border chief right in El Paso next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Chris Clem headed the southern border, El Paso, Arizona, 27 years, maybe more. Uh, he is has been involved in keeping our nation safe. Now he's retired. But this is the perfect person to talk about this. All right. We were talking off air. Um, the world got a little dose of the press secretary, I think, blatantly lying to us, saying, well, you know, immigration is 90 percent secure. She had to be talking about something other than the southern border, right? Yeah. You know, uh, well, first of all, yeah, absolutely uh, uh, happy to be here. It's going to be a good conversation. When she mentioned 90 percent was down, what she did was she cherry picked a specific piece of a parole program. And when we are talking about parole, we're talking about when we allow people in the country uh, through a special, a special process, they come to the ports of entry, or in our case, between the ports of entry, we had a parole process. Let me, let me just kind of backtrack. We, our numbers were so crazy. We had so many people in custody that by policy and by certain statutes, we, we can't hold people more than 72 hours. So then we start violating our own policies and laws, and we had to find a way to get people out of custody. So we started paroling people in, and they were going. Some of these folks were going to Florida. Well, there was a lawsuit by Florida versus the United against the United States. So that basically shut down several demographics, several countries: uh, Haiti, uh, Venezuela, I think, uh, uh, Cuba, and whoever we were paroling at the time. And so when that that lawsuit happened. We basically had to stop paroling people. So therefore, those those numbers, those specific countries dropped by 90 percent. So the fact was, when applied under these conditions based on the lawsuit, there was a 90 percent drop. Let me tell you, the numbers are through the roof. There are 28,000 people in custody on our southwest border right now as we speak. That That's crazy. So that was that was a complete. I mean, I don't really give her many, many uh, 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 breaks, but she 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 really uh, messed that one up. And 
probably need to come back and say and, and tell the truth that that was that was a a fact that was misinterpreted by the press secretary. I hope that kind of you, you've been up down there. You, yeah. you know the deal there. You, that, that was your life. I mean, that's what yeah. you did. Um, everybody that has been, I just had Senator Tupper go on. He spoke very plainly about the mess that it is. People say, look, it's simply about the policies of Joe Biden. It's simply about Biden wanting open borders, globalization, whatever you want to call it. Give me your thoughts on why are we allowing this? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, I call the balls and strikes the way I see them. It's how I've always gotten uh, gotten by in my life. It's how I, I survived 27 and a half years uh, in the Border Patrol. Um, I'll give you numbers, and, and this tells a story to all your followers here. In October of 2020, so that's the beginning of fiscal year 21, October 2020, prior to the election, in Yuma, where I uh, came uh, and, and got there in December that year, in Yuma, they averaged 25 arrests a day. In November, that number went up to 35 arrests a day. All right, we had an election. In December, it went up to 54. In December, it was up to like 79 by, uh, or excuse me, January. By February, over 100. By May, a few months after Biden had taken, the, we were at 500. That year alone, in fiscal year 21, 114,000 arrests in Yuma. It was double what they'd ever seen before. In two, fiscal year 22, 310,000 arrests in Yuma. On, on Inauguration Day, the President of the United States did several executive orders that basically stopped the wall system, which was more than just brick and mortar. It was a lot of other things associated. He stopped the, uh, the Migrant Protection Protocol, which is also known as the Remain in Mexico uh, uh, program. He stopped a lot of the agreements we had with other countries for folks that were looking to come to the United States. And uh, and that was after our, our, our folks in the transition teams in Washington said, hey, if you do this, it's going to be a problem. So don't don't do it right away. Well, he yanked that bandaid off with no plan. And I mean, we were underwater and it it's it's it, it's crazy. I just mentioned we we have 28,000 people in custody right now on the southwest border. We had over 10,000 arrests yesterday. I mean, and that's that's just on the southwest border. 10,000 people. And there's more to come. And and the the famous Title 42 expires uh, tonight at midnight. So, um we'll see what happens tomorrow. It'll be a, a, a it's a new day. What what does Title 42 expiring mean to the average person? Well, to the average person, what Title 42 was, was a, a Center for Disease Control, CDC policy that under any certain circumstances, like a pandemic, you can expel anybody in, uh, from the United States. In other words, you don't get a hearing, you don't get due process, you get just go back to whatever country you came from. In this case, they were coming in illegally from Mexico. Um, that should happen anyway when you have, you know, when you're coming in the wrong way. But what that did is that gave us uh, as agents, literally, we could remove somebody or expel them within 15 minutes. Okay, so if you had people, and, and it really was one of those situations where they realized they couldn't get in, and if they did, they were going to go right back to Mexico, uh, be expelled. So they weren't coming in. Well, when that expires, what require we'll have to take people into custody, and we'll have to go through a complete process, which is going to take you know two or three hours per per alien per migrant. And then they're going to they're going to remain in custody. And then we're not going to have any room. There's no room to hold them. They are going to be released to the communities. And so what happens to the average person, what, what they're going to be impacted by is instead of expelling these migrants right back to Mexico, they're going to be processed. 
They're going to have their information taken. They're going to be given a court date months or years down the road, and they're going to be released uh, on the streets to non-government organizations who are going to then help get them to where they want to go. And in most cases, uh, at least those that are coming in in Arizona are going out towards the Northeast. So they're going to they're going to figure out and get flight arrangements and they're going to show up in communities and they have an initial check in with with uh, immigration, usually within 60 days of them being released. But it's going to take two or three years or more before they even have their initial hearing to where a judge may decide if they get to stay or not. So they're going to be here. These migrants are coming and there's no plan to remove them. Uh, um, and, and there's a there's a there's a reason for that, I believe. Uh, but we can we can follow up with that down the road here. What is the reason? Well, there's a couple of reasons. There's a there's a practical reason. We don't have any detention space because the politicians, especially those on the progressive side, have pushed for defunding ICE. Well, ICE is Immigration Customs and Enforcement. Their sole charter under the uh, Department of Homeland Security is uh, detention and removal of unlawful migrants. So when you reduce the capacity to hold people so they can stay for their immigration case, and if they get ordered by the judge to remove, ICE would re remove them or deport them. Well, when there's no room at the end, they get released. And so that that creates this monster that we have where we have we have no place to keep people. So we have to release them. Um, you know, so why? You know, there's a lot of conspiracies out there. You know, they're trying to bring in more voters. They're trying to do all these things. Uh, you know, I, you know, in the when the lack of answers to your questions is when these conspiracies start. I cannot think of a of a reason. Other than just just these people are nuts that are in charge of these policies, um, you know. Look, look, look around our own country. Look at the homeless problem we have in our own country. Look at the financial problems we're having in our own country. Shouldn't we clean up our own backyard first before we start uh, allowing more and more people in? Look, look. I I think all of us, the majority of people in the United States, want to help people. You know, we we want to do what's right. But we charity starts at home and we've got enough problems here in our in our in our own backyards that that's where we should be focused on. You know, pump the brakes for a little bit and then figure out some plans. Um, you know, it, it, it almost sound crazy when you try to think of why they're doing this, because it makes zero sense. Um, you know, you travel, you go to all the major cities and it's just homelessness, homelessness. But yet we're we're bringing in letting in thousands of people a day. You know, um, it's 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 crazy, Dan. It's it's crazy. I I don't really have a great answer other than they're nuts. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't. I mean, what 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 is the answer? It doesn't make sense. There's no there's no sense about it. Chris, um, when did the cartels? When did China? When did Russia get involved in being? Well, I mean, people are saying the cartels are making billions off of this. People are saying that people are flying in. You know, China's involved. Russia's involved. When did all this start? Well, that's been going on um, for a long time, right? So we had a good grasp on it. And um, and, I, and I think to kind of let people know, uh, the cartels, and there's several cartels, and they have subsections, and you know they control anything and everything that comes to the U.S. border, uh, that comes in you know, from the southern border and, uh, and illegally or even approaching the border. Uh, I can tell you, that the numbers uh, last year when, when I was there, um, the average range was $5,000 to $15,000 a person. All right. Now, look, we caught 2.2 million people last year. Do the math. Somebody's making a lot of money. You're talking billions and billions of dollars. Um, 
And, and, and so that, and, and that, that's the typical price, right? And not everybody is paying money up front. And that's, this is where it gets really dangerous, right? This is where human exploitation, where these policies are putting people's lives at risk. Somebody that can't pay that price is going to pay it somehow, either through indentured servitude, uh, through prostitution, the, the trafficking piece of it. Uh, they're going to be working for these cartels. Their families are going to, or their property is going to be uh, seized to make up for that, uh, the, that money. On the China piece, right? So that's where we have the, 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 the fentanyl coming in, right? We know that that is being uh, shipped into Mexico. And then the, uh, the, drug, uh, the drug cartel portion or the, the drug side of the cartel organization is pressing this stuff into pills and, and, and smuggling it into the United States uh, illegally, uh, obviously through either the ports of entry and vehicles around people or illegally between the ports of entry. And that's what's running, winding up in our streets and being uh, put in repurposed into all sorts of different uh, uh, drugs. And it's killing our, killing our key people. I mean, what do they say? The teenagers, uh, what, 15 to 25 or something like that, uh, 18 to 45, that age group, I, it's a big, big group, 100 plus thousand people, fentanyl deaths. That's coming through our border, and 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 there no one can deny that, and that's why. And I and I and I'll, I'll stop after this point. That's why, regardless of what your political leanings are, border security it should not be political. It is about securing our nation's borders. It is about keeping Americans and their communities and the people safe. It's about having a lawful process to come into this country. I, I've said this before, and I like saying it again. We should be a nation of tall fences and wide gates. The tall fences keep us secure and the wide gates keep lawful trade and travel and people and commerce coming through the right way where they can be inspected and keep both sides of the border, whether we're talking Mexico or with Canada, safe and secure because you have a safe, secure border. There should be no politics involved in that. I mean, YouTube chat is pretty lively, pretty big. A guy asked me, can you can you ask Chris, what, what's a border czar supposed to do? Now, the border czar apparently is Camilla Harris. Uh, what the hell is she supposed to do? I, wh what is she doing, I guess, is the better question. Well, you know, um, I, I'll try to do my best word, word salad to explain that. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I got to tell you, um, we, I, I don't know. Uh, it was never defined to us. I was a sitting chief when, uh, when, when that happened. Um, I, I believe the intention was to go get to the root problems and the root problems was climate change, I guess. Um, no, the root problems are the pull factors of the United States allowing people to come in here and, and to remain and receive benefits when they really don't, don't uh, get the benefits. I, I do know that the, uh, the, the border czar, the vice president did go to El Paso um, uh, sometime uh, well after her anointment. And uh, went to one of the processing areas, a real quick visit on the ground. Certainly, we've done those type of, you know, uh, dog and pony shows and get it. She is the vice president. Uh, it's going to be very structured. But uh, there's been there's been nothing that is that is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what a border czar does, I guess. I apologize. I wish I had a better answer, but we were never explained. I, I think she's supposed to be the point person for the for the U.S. government uh, uh, around the world. And um I think she went to uh, Mexico City and Central America one time, but uh, nothing's nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. She gets to be the borders or the AIs are now. That's great. I mean, I, I look the ma the amazing thing to me, Chris, is that you last night Donald Trump 
uh, a sitting senator from Arkansas, right, on with me before you, have used terms like idiots, morons, incompetence. It's amazing to me. Like, I understand the normal person sitting at a bar or maybe on Twitter is going to say, man, these idiots. But you guys are in the know. You guys have dealt with this. And that's the response. And that's the level that we, you, others, uh, talk of these people. It's amazing to me that we are at this point in our country. I'm astounded at our, our, our ineptness in voting, I guess. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I had I had a plan when I took over uh, as chief in Yuma back in 2020. I was going to you know, reassess after two years and about a year into it, uh, my wife and family, we said, yeah, we'll probably do a year because I because that's what it was. Right. You were like we were taking two steps forward and three steps back. As soon as we got some kind of handle on something, we would they would they would change the direction. I, I really Look, uh, I spent some time in Washington D.C. I've seen how the, uh, the 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 widgets are made up there, and um, and it, and it's frustrating. And so when you get on the ground and you and you sit there and try to look into the the men and women's eyes, say, hey, you know, give them the the good college cheer and, and let's get this done. And you really know that hey, these people don't know what's going on, and uh, it, it oftentimes falls on deaf ears. And so you know, what is really interesting is is the push now. Or you start hearing the talking point now, Congress needs to act. Well, we've been saying that for decades. Uh, it was a talking point that I was saying. But you know what? Uh, last year, uh, they had the House and the Senate and the White House, and they didn't do anything. Uh, but now they're going to blame Congress. Uh, look, it is executive branch, i.e. the White House, Domestic Policy Council, and the Department of Homeland Security that control the policies. Congress makes the laws and gives the latitude for the executive branch to execute. And it's their policies. Look, I will tell you this. Uh, Trump's policies were clunky, but they were effective. They had room to where we could smooth them out, but they were effective. Look, if they wanted to change the name and, and put a, a, a border czar stamp on it, but it was going to secure the border, it was going to slow things down, it was going to keep people safe, it was going to limit the amount of human exploitation we're seeing, I'm all for it. Change the name. But what they did is uh, is they just they they just ripped the bandaid off and let the bleed still come. It was it's nuts. It's not stopping, is it? No, no. I can tell you, we know that information. The Darien Gap down in Panama, South America to North America, they had forty thousand people pass through there in the month of April. They're, where do you think they're heading? I'll also say this: you hear you hear um, you hear this administration talk about this problem not being unique to the southern border. And that sounds really neat and it sounds really fancy because all these countries uh, south of us are dealing with this problem. But here's how they're dealing with it. They're helping facilitate them. They're not stopping in Panama. They're not stopping in Central America. They're, they're maybe slowing down in Mexico, but they're coming to the United States. So this problem is unique to the southern border. It is unique because this is where they're all heading. They're all heading here and they come from all different Look, in Yuma alone, a small section of Southeast Arizona last year, 116 different countries. So so for your followers and people that are listening and, and viewing, look, it's not a Mexico or Central American problem. This is a world problem coming in here because countries are allowing it to happen. Our State Department, our administration are not you know, having the backbone to say, hey, knock this off. It needs to stop. Does it need to stop permanently? No, but we need to slow it down so we can figure it out and get get a better hand on it. 
Chris, I, one of the fun, I, I don't know if this is funny, but it's funny to me because I'm warped, okay? <laughs> um, all these sanctuary cities, Chicago, I grew up outside Chicago, Gary, Indiana, New York, they're sanctuaries. Bring our dreamers. Bring the, yeah, 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 until you actually bring the dreamers or the, and then, hey, we don't want these folks here. Get them the hell out of here. It is, it, it's funny to me when these bullshit, uh, politicians get called on their bullshit let's put it that yep. way yep not in my backyard is what they call it right it's a it's a it's a problem for you to solve it but as soon as you bring the problem to me uh it's uh it becomes a, a reality look we we hear the outgoing mayor in chicago has been complaining about uh people being brought up there and you know look this is this is you know a, a problem we i wish it wasn't there but you're talking eight thousand people in the course of a year they had over 10,000 arrests last, last night. You've got right. Del Rio, Texas in September a year or so ago, you had 16,000 people show up in three days. Uh, so I agree with you. It's kind of funny. And, 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 you know, this was, it's actually a really good, you know, uh, a good point about getting the message out there. Uh, we've had people come out, you know, from, uh, from New York city, uh, from uh, representatives from other, other parts of the country that come and learn and see what's happening because it changes their their view because they live in that bubble, they live in this political bubble, and and then they 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 kind of go oh wow maybe I need to keep my mouth shut it's not as bad as what the city of Yuma or Douglas Arizona or El Paso catching fifteen hundred or Del Rio or Brownsville Texas and that's you know why I, we bring people out to the border we have our NFL legends you know we we brought several players out we continue to build on that network. So we get a different voice out there to see the truth and tell it like it is, because I, I think that's what the American people need to hear. They need to make up these decisions on their own based on facts, not rhetoric, not on the nonsense that you hear from one uh, uh, spokesperson. But we get real people that have done real things that have a voice in their communities to come out here and say, hey, first of all, let's support our men and women on the border because they're dealing with the front lines. And second of all, they're doing a great job at what they're doing. But lastly, it's out of control, people. Don't don't let them let them fool you. Appreciate you, because you know yeah. I, I I am talking about three things basically outside of sports. One is the border. Two is you know boys, for whatever the reason, transgendering and and playing with girls. And then the third is when I was a kid. I don't know how old you are, but when I was a kid, uh, I'm sixty. And, Jimmy Carter was in office. I never heard the word inflation and inflation almost <laughs> crippled our family. So those are the three things I hit constantly because the yeah. three things that drive me nuts, how stupid we are to elect such an idiot. And it, your words, Tuberville's words, you know, people that knows we're such an inept group to represent us. It drives me batshit crazy if you want to know the truth. Well, I remember waiting in gas lines with my parents uh, right. you know, for hours to get, you know, uh, and, and knew about inflation. And it's funny how all three of those are interconnected in the weirdest way, because here's what some politicians did. They want to pass a bill to make sure that anybody that is in the LBGTQ uh, uh, group does not get detained and is is prioritized and immediately released from custody when they enter the country illegally. You know, so that's their solution to a border crisis with 10,000 people a day coming across. Again, you know, they, they're not putting the priority. I don't think the majority of people really want to put too much uh, worry about that uh, regarding the LBGTQ population. You know, people are going to do what people do. Um, uh, however, 
to prioritize that in your border bill is nuts because we have to secure the border. And, and, and just so you know, that's already considered a vulnerable population that we prioritize their safety to make sure they have what they need. And But they, no one gets in the front of the line except for unaccompanied children because they are our most vulnerable population. Look, again, I was just talking about our NFL players. We've got our group, uh, border, uh, border uh, Sports Legends Supporting Border Heroes. Um, you know, welcome you down to the border. We'll, we'll coordinate a trip. Uh, one of our visits, you should come down and see it firsthand. We'll make something happen. Uh, you know, so you can come back. And, and, and just like I tell all members of Congress at the local level or the federal level, if you've got a voice, if you've got a vote on this border, you need to come down here and see it firsthand and 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 get a good perspective. Talk to all the demographics. Talk to the non-government organizations. Talk to the border patrols. Talk to the hospitals who are overwhelmed. Talk to the city leaders who are overwhelmed at the border. And then you'll think differently when the biggest city in the country complains about 10,000 people or, you know, a, one of the largest cities in the uh, country complains about 8,000 people. Um, talk about a city that has 20,000 people in it handling 30,000 bodies a month. There, there's a crisis for you. Chris, I'm going to take you up on that. We've had Dan Pastorini yeah. and Mar uh, Brian Erlacher uh, come on our show and describe it. I, I, nobody's ever offered me the opportunity. I'm going to work with. Uh, somebody, I, I want to get, yeah. to, I, I would love to take you up on that invitation because this has me yeah. crazy. I, I, you know, I spent my whole life coaching basketball, worried about family, all this kind of stuff. And I left ESPN to get involved in things like this, where you can have discussions because, yeah. you know, as I said, I'm 16, it's making me freaking nuts, yeah. you know, to see what the hell's going on. And the difference between somebody like you uh, speaking on it, who's actually there and some clown getting up in a press secretary talking nonsense or the president talking idiocy or going down there for a photo op. I don't know if you can tell, but it makes me insane. It makes me, it, it makes yeah. me go back to my coaching days when I used to MF everything, throw things around <laughs> and uh, rip ass every day. It makes me go back well, to those days. Well, don't, don't think that those words don't come out of my mind every time I read an updated article or when I sat in my chief desk, uh, you know, with behind closed doors, uh, I tried to keep that uh, level, uh, you know, uh, to myself. Yeah, you had but, to. Yeah, but, but but you mentioned uh, Brian and Dan, both uh, people that have become good friends of mine uh, that we've gone to the border with that, uh, you know, are, 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 are very special people. They're legends. They've done some great things. Uh, they're, they're the type of people we're going to get down there. Um, and, and let me tell you, Sonia can arrange that. You know, um, she's the she's the she's the glue that's bringing all this together, that is bringing this team together, that's creating this this uh, foundation that connected all these dots and uh and and so yeah you know how to get a hold of her or she'll get a hold of you yeah we'll, we'll make something happen because that is look i i think the i i'm gonna be an optimist here and I, I am generally optimistic i think the american people the majority you know you i, I kind of i like olympic scoring like take the highest and the and the lowest and get rid of it. and it's that chunk in the right. middle and it's the same way with politics right it's the same way way with media take those extreme views on either side get rid of them, and let the common sense people come up with solutions and I think when we bring in these legends and, uh, and people from around the, the country with different diverse backgrounds and different population communities that they, they, they serve, they see it. They bring a level of reasonableness to this and say, hey, I've been there. You know, um, there's, of course, there's a lot of connections between, you know, uh, elite athletes and, and law enforcement because they, the, that type A personality, that drive, that, that uh, teamwork makes a difference. So we automatically connect. But you all have a different platform, a different voice. And uh, and you get to see it, and it, it it's it, it not only does it you know 
is a, a boost in the a morale for our, our men and women in uniform to see uh, folks like yourself and the, the guys you mentioned come down there, but to also advocate for them and, and, and pat them on the back and, 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 and support them is, is huge. We need that because I tell you, it, you know, it's it, it, being humans hard when you're dealing with this administration because you, you, you're, you're speeding up to a red light. You just kind of stop and then you're waiting for the next, next uh, direction. It's like, man, lead, follow, get out of the way. And we'd actually prefer the latter. Let us let the men and women that know what's going on take care of business because they'll get it done. I, I'm telling you, I, I spent 27 and a half years with this agency and, and, and I love it. And I love the men and women there. And, and, and the Border Patrol agents are going to get things done. They run to the sign of gunfire when you have uh, a tragedy. Look, look I, 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 just this last week, you had that murder in East Texas where the, the guy with the, went and shot those people over loud music. Our Border Patrol agents, our tactical teams were called up to support those local, local law enforcement out there in East uh, Texas. It was our BORTAC, our Border Patrol tactical team that tracked him down and, and arrested him, you know. So we've got, <laughs> you just let us do our job. We're going to get it done. You get, get this crazy policies out of the way and let us secure this border. Let us figure out the, uh, our plan to deal with the masses. We'll do it. But as soon as you get politics involved in it, oh, it's chaos. Just, just let us do our freaking job, man. Yep. That <laughs> seems so yep. simple. I mean, hey, look, right? I, you know, I, I was used to say they're paying me. You know, they're paying me, so I, 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 they want me to do something, so I'm going to yeah. do what I'm, what I'm paid to do. Just let people do their job. Chris, had a blast. Yeah. I want you to come back. I'm going to get yeah. with Sonia. I would much rather go to the border than go on vacation. I'm getting that yeah. done. You've inspired me, sir, and I thank you. Let's, let's do this podcast from the border after one of our visits. That's what we can do. That way we that have a, a back, we'll have a background there of some desert. Yep. Yep. We'll figure that. it out. I'm in. I'm getting that done. Yeah. That will happen. You got it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so you much. It. I look forward to being back on and seeing you soon. Okay. Yes, sir. We're going to do it from All the right. border. Oh, would that be good? I, I, again, this is, I think our best show that we've had. Chris was unbelievable because look, we're here. We're going to talk sports, but we, we, I didn't leave ESPN just to talk sports. I left ESPN because this world is making me nuts and talking to Chris or coach Tuberville is absolutely inspiring to me because people speaking freely, you know, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to turn on Twitter and watch some idiots say, well, that guy, this guy, shut up. These are people that have been there. These are people that are doing it. These are people. And when you, I've always said this, you know, playing and coaching for 27, whatever it was years is great. And then you become an announcer. It's great. And great game. But it ain't being inside. When you're inside, I don't care, you know, the border, the government, like Tuberville is, you know and you look and you got to see how stupid that's not true. That's not true. I've said this 20 now, 20 national stories have been written about me and not one has been active. Not one. I can only imagine what the freaking front page is. All right, we come back. We're going to get into some sports. We're going to get into some stuff we didn't get into yesterday. I thank Chris for coming on. I thank Tommy Tuberville. Uh, Urban Meyer wants a piece of this. He's been texting me. He's been watching. He wants, I think he and I, we're going to go to the border. Uh, hey, look, uh, I'll shout from the highest mountains on this stuff. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.
Hey, welcome back. I'm just tweeting out. This is the best, most interesting show that we have done. I really believe that. I mean, look, uh, this administration is not about you or me. This administration, and Chris said this off air when I let him go uh, just now. He said this administration is about narrative. It's just absolutely disgusting. We got What the Hell Thursday coming up. It was What the Hell Wednesday yesterday, but now we've got Thursday. Mookie Betts, I want you to listen to this. He is scared of the hotel that the Dodgers were staying in. I want you to think about this. They were staying at the Pfister Hotel. It's a 130-year-old hotel right in downtown Milwaukee. Mookie Betts knows or researched or something that it has been discussed uh, as haunted. There have been some infamous ghost tales, that they called it. Players, not only Mookie Betts, but have tried to avoid this. Why? Well, frankly, because it is, in their minds, haunted. So what did Betts do? He rented out an Airbnb. He made the move. He said, just in case the haunted house is, abs- or the, the hotel is actually haunted. Now, Betts makes about $365 million, so he can go get himself an Airbnb. Uh, listen to this. Bryce Harper, th- I love these stories. Bryce Harper said, when I woke up in the morning, I swear on everything, the clothes were on the floor and the table was on the opposite side of the room against the wall. I was so frustrated. I honestly thought there might be someone in my room. I had no idea what the hell had happened. So I actually looked around. Then I checked to see if the door was latched and it was. So this isn't just Mookie Betts losing his mind. This baseball players, football players, broadcasters, we all talk. So he's like, hey, man, I don't care what you say. I am not. No, no, I'm not staying there because of experiences of others. And I don't like it. I love it. I think that's great. I do. I, 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 that's one of the greatest stories ever. You do not want to. You don't want to stay in the hotel because we all know in baseball that it's haunted. Uh, tomorrow, Benetti's going to join us. I'm writing it down. The Fister, he talks about, I think it was the hotel. I think our guy, Jason Benetti, is, uh, is, has experience with this hotel. Oh, by the way, did you know this? Yo MTV Raps. You know what that is? That's Yo MTV Raps. Well, Yo MTV Raps News, Kevin Loader at all, they're shutting it down. They're shutting the news portion down after 36 years. Now, I'm old enough to remember when MTV started. I'm old enough to remember. When everybody got excited, that's where you turned, man. You had videos, you had sexy videos, you had news, you had, uh, well, the legendary story in Bloomington, Indiana, was when John Mellencamp promoted the Little 500, and I literally sat on my balcony at Varsity Villas, and I watched cops in riot gear go right through Varsity Villas, because, well, frankly, uh, there were riots going on, guys were flipping cars, the place was out of control, it was awesome. It was freaking awesome. Little 500 at Indiana and MTV and Mellicamp giving away a pink house was the epitome of college or just after college, actually, for me in the 80s. And then the running back, Brett Law for Indiana, was lifting up or part of guys lifting up a car right there from me as uh, my then girlfriend became my first wife. uh, And I sat there and watched it. I didn't want to get involved in it. This wasn't like now where everybody would add a camera 
But MTV was there. They made a big deal of it, and it was freaking awesome. Smartest thing Indiana University ever did. Now, Indiana University was named the number one party school in the country after that. And I'm being literal here. I'm being literal. People at IU lost their minds. No, they lost their ever-loving minds. We started having a guy named Dean Gordon who would literally go from fraternity house to fraternity house. This was actually in the middle of all this. And check. And fraternities would call other fraternities and say, hey, man, the dean's on the way. Hide your stash. I think there was one time a report, don't know if it's true, that the Fiji house had 55 kegs under a tarp in a hidden tunnel underneath. Don't know if it's true, but it's the stuff of legends. All right, a 14-year-old boy. Now, remember, 14-year-old boys can now get themselves, have their penises cut off. They can tell their mommies and daddies that, well, you know what? Uh, I'm actually a girl. They can do this. Well, 14-year-old boy in Nashville, where we all reside, not me, but them, stole a school bus. Stole a school bus and went dozens of miles. Uh, and for whatever the reason, old boy tried to run over a person. For whatever the reason, old boy hit a diesel fuel pump. They broke the windows on the bus. They tased the kid as he tried to turn around on a major intersection highway to avoid spike strips. So this clown at 14 decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the school bus for a joyride. Uh, the brazen, according to reports, the brazen young man started when an unarmed suspect stole the bus from the Kip College Prep School in the Antioch neighborhood of southwest Nash Vegas. He then recklessly drove seven miles north on the Murfreesboro Pike, turned onto the Brilly Parkway for a nine-mile jaunt across the city, stopped at a gas station uh, where he drove into a diesel fuel pump and then tried to run over another customer. Here it is. Spree starts at Antioch, takes the bus north on uh, 155 East, then stops at Casey's Market where he hits a diesel pump, tries to run over a person, he turns around and gets back on 155 and turns on the 40 West. And then it ends at the McCroy exit where he was trying to get back on the highway so he could go the opposite way on a highway and escape law enforcement. God bless you, son. Here's what you got. Maybe there's going to be a little stretch in juvie. Maybe there's going to be a little something, something with your parents. Maybe you're going to have a record. I don't know if they'll drop a felony on you. Maybe you can work that off. But I'll tell you what you got when you're my age. You got a hell of a story. You do. You got a hell of a story. You got the kind of story that people are going to go, what? Or if you still live in Nashville, people are going to go, you know what? I remember that. Were you that idiot that did that? Were, were you that clown? Uh, it, you did that? Yeah, that was me. Holy hell. What made you want to do that? Eh, I got high with my buddies. No, I don't know. Oh, man. I'm going to have to move real quick and plug in this, but not before we talk Costanza. The Brooklyn Cyclones have Seinfeld night. That's right. Who wouldn't have Seinfeld night? Look at this. They got a sweet look at Georgie. Georgie taking in the right hand, the golf ball out of the blowhole as a marine biologist. Everybody knows that George Seinfeld or George Costanza was a marine biologist, or at least he said he was. When he was an art vandalay, noted architect, but George uh, George Costanza got called into action by a girlfriend. Has anybody seen a marine biologist? Here comes Costanza. The surf was rough that day. I dropped 
I jumped on the big fish, mammal. Whatever. Kramer had been hitting Titleist into the ocean. Costanza went out and bravely unplugged the blowhole and showed it at Monk's hole-in-one. How awesome is that? That is awesome. Yeah, so Costanza gets called on it. He ends up saving the day. I got to tell you, if uh, no girl would be hot enough for me to walk into the surf and pull, I don't know, Sean Black. I don't know, Jenny. I don't know. Would you all do it on the YouTube chat? I'm not doing that on the YouTube chat. I'm not walking into the surf to save a whale. I mean, look, here. I mean, I would love to save the whale. I'm embarrassed that I'm saying I wouldn't. But are you insane? Are you nuts? I'm not doing that. So anyway, marine biologists, they also have a lane dancing. They have a shrinkage race closest to the blowhole contest. They, of course, have the timeless art of seduction. It is last year, Seinfeld Night 2022 was awesome. This year, I assume it will be equally as good. We will let you know it is coming in May or in August, not May. It's already May. It ain't here. Uh, YouTube chat's asking why I look like this. Well, my wife lost my dop kit, and this is all I got. Daniel Dockage, it is not a lie. If you believe it's a story of my life. Oh man. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, one of the things that is awesome about Wednesdays is you can make what the hell Wednesday into what the hell Thursday. And I'm not even mad about it. Robert De Niro, age 79. Good for De Niro. Look at that face. Now I'm not going to lie to you. He's having a baby. It's his seventh kid at 79. Now, I read something. I don't know how old his wife is, but I got to tell you. You want that thing humping on you? I mean, seriously. Can you imagine how much Coke or tequila or both or whiskey or wine to go, yeah. Hey, uh, De Niro, come here, baby. Put a, belly, put a baby in this belly. Uh, I got to tell you, man, that takes a strong woman. I know he's famous, and I know he's probably a great dude, and I know he's a flaming, ridiculous, uh, left extremist. We all understand that. But I got to tell you, I ain't one. I am not taking one for the team with Robert freaking De Niro. I also got to say, I'm not sure I ever thought at any point in my broadcasting career that I would be discussing taking one for the team with Robert De Niro. But apparently that face right there, that body, that 79-year-old guy, still can get it done. Good for him. I think you got to be nuts. It's like if I ever see the ESPN reporter uh, that was stooping my boy Doyle, I'm going to go, what was wrong with you? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Letting that guy do that. What? what? What's the problem here? No self-esteem? What are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, man, that's the kind of show that I like. All right, this serious news. Investigators determined that the punter god, Matt Araza, was not present during an alleged gang rape. This is very serious. The punter has spoken out about the very dark eight months he had to endure. Here's a quote. 
from Matt, I'm thankful for the facts of this case as provided by the witnesses will prove what I've been saying from the beginning, in fact, is in fact the truth. I can only hope that now people will assess me on the facts and not what was falsely claimed in both the civil suit and in the press. Press is jackass. If you want to know what the press is all about, go look at what uh, Tucker Carlson put out first thing back on how the innuendos and the different things that the press uses to crush people. I'm beyond thankful for the unwavering support of my family and friends. They've been a rock in what has been a very dark eight months for me. However, now that the truth is out, I'm amazed by the thousands of emails and tweets supporting me. It's been a blessing to know so many people are now judging me by the facts. Isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that just astounding that we don't judge people by the facts? We have this thing in our country called innocent before proven guilty, right? What are we doing? Julie DiCarlo, the scumbag editor of Deadspin, allowed an article to be printed. Now, Julie DiCarlo is one of the worst people that you'll ever find on Twitter. She's an Indiana graduate, and she's very vocal and very nasty and very horrible. And maybe it's her own life experiences. I don't know what her life experiences are, but she is god-awful. And she allowed a ridiculous article that I'm not even going to tell you who wrote it to go on Deadspin. She's an editor. And, of course, like all chicken blanks, like Julie DiCarlo, DeCaro, uh, she has since, once she started getting ripped on Twitter, she's always hidden behind being a woman and lying. She totally lied about me when I wouldn't go in a pool with a woman that wasn't my wife. She was ridiculous, hateful, and horrible. But of course, now that people are coming at Julie DeCaro, uh, her sorry ass protects her tweets. My tweets are not protected. She was one of the biggest loudmouths uh, go after any guy that looked even crossways 20 years ago at a woman. She in the DUI factory that is Rick Tallender, who used to be one of my favorite writers. Uh, he's with the Chicago Tribune. He, he uh, judges everyone. Of course, he got a DUI and wheezed his way out of it. Those two jackasses. Uh, come at people all the time, but scared to death when people come at them. So kiss my ass, Julie DeCaro, for allowing Matt Ariza, this kid right here, to be crucified in an article uh, by the most ridiculous of people. Uh, people get facts from headlines and not actual information. And I got to tell you, that is 1,000% true. This is why you love our show, because we are not the normal show. We will never be the normal show. I'm sitting here, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a little tour here. I'm going to take you on a little tour. See, I am at a very – I like the place. I think the place is great. A little dark over here. You're going to see there's some tents over here. This is the bar area uh, where it'll be open from 5 until 10. Our game is at 2. Lee and I are in charge of the tailgating. But the truth of the matter is if I don't plug this phone in, or if I don't plug this computer in, in about two seconds, I am going to lose power. This is why you love my show. That's right. Don't have me cribs. This is why people say, you know, Doc, it's, your show is freaking awesome. I'm not going to lie. I was in TSA. Where was I just now? Newark? Wherever the hell I was coming back from. And a guy at the TSA goes, hey, I watch you on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm at 1%. Sorry, it's going to be a little dark here at the end. But uh, we are at the Chauncey. All right, let's do this. Let's go to Wokado. Uh, 
Where's the woke dope, you guys? Well, you're making fun of me. A mayor should accept it. Let's establish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. This is the funniest thing. This is what I talked to Chris Krim about. Like, let's be honest. I mean, there it is. People should accept illegal immigrants. Let's establish sanctuary cities. Boom. Why would Republicans send illegal immigrants to us? I think we should send them constantly. Don't send them to India. Don't send them to India. We haven't been a sanctuary city. We're a city where we allow BLM to destroy our city. We are a city that allows crime. We are a city that encourages crime. We are a city that can't wait for crime. I had to go check. There's no crime here at the, at the uh, Chauncey Hotel, but I wanted to make sure because I left my stuff over there. But we in Indianapolis, hey, leave us be. We got enough crime. That's fine. Don't mess with us. Uh, what's next here, Dylan? Man, no kidding. My man says social media put pressure on them to trans into a woman and stopped him from and stopped him from realizing his mistake. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. If social media put pressure on you to transition you to a woman, and if social media did anything to, I'm trying to figure out which way to go. There you go. If social media pressured you to do anything, then you're an idiot. And whatever happens with you, happens with you. I mean, let's be honest with you. Social media shouldn't pressure you to do nothing. Let me tell you how you get rid of You click off. It's hard to do. Look, I'm a bit addicted, as my wife says, but I have to be for my job. I want everybody, will you do me a favor? Will you click like, click subscribe, please? I want this show to go on for years and years and years. We want to keep blanking people off. But I got to tell you, if social media puts pressure on you to do any damn thing, then you're soft. You're no good. You're a weenie. And we've got too many weenies in this country. We've got too many whiners and too many weenies. Look, you want to transition to a woman? You're that guy's age. Be a woman. You want to transition to a dude? You're that dude's age. Be a dude. Who cares? It's like, hey, live your best life, baby. But don't blame it on social media. Don't blame it on that. Are you insane? What is wrong with you? Not blaming it on social media. Uh, a guy just asked me, Dan, who wins today? I don't know. I got to tell you, uh, if you are in the general vicinity, actually, last time we were here at Princeton for a series about a month ago, uh, a lady came up. She's from Zionsville. She's like, hey, watch your show. And uh, I knew you guys were here. Just wanted to introduce myself. She and her husband live here half the year and live in Zionsville half the year. And it's pretty cool. So make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, and make sure you ring the bell because we are going to get this done. This I can promise you. We are going to make OutKick the number one destination for real news. Real news. We're not for everybody. If you want to sit out there and be fake, if you want to sit out there and be phony, if you want to sit out there and you're so extreme on the left that you can't think or you're so extreme on the right that you can't think, this ain't the place for you. This is for common sense and truth. And I also got to say something else back to Bob Huggins. All right, here's the deal. So some of my colleagues, David Hookstead, oh, I think he'll be joining us tomorrow. He wrote an article. Clay has written about, hey, I don't want, and I'm glad that West Virginia did not cancel Bob Huggins. That's, that's their words. I didn't really care. I didn't care what they did. I knew they weren't going to cancel him. I know Chad and Jonathan said on uh, when it happened, yeah, that's the end of his coaching career. I know West Virginia well enough, but there's no way those guys are going to do that. And Huggins is too big a legend. And David Hookstead actually wrote a really good article that I want to talk to you tomorrow about, which is Nate Oates has a guy 
involved in a capital murder, has another guy, Brandon Miller, that brings the gun to the capital murder. Another guy gets stopped for weed and all this other crap, and nothing is done to him. Whereas Bob Huggins says words, and he gets a million-dollar fine. Look it up. Look and see what kind of crime you've got to commit to get fined a million dollars. Sensitivity training. And, of course, his uh, contract is now year-to-year, not over the course of multi-years. Fine. Great. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't care whether Huggins was fired or not. I guess I'm glad he's not. I don't know. I'm not Pat Forty that's saying, and I don't disagree with Pat. Pat Forty says that Huggins is the most powerful man in West Virginia because he can say those things and get away with it. Mike Freeman has gone nuts. Other people have gone nuts. That's great. That's everything. But see, here at OutKick, here's the deal. We encourage. It is encouraged to have thought, different thought. It is encouraged. I don't have to agree with everything going on that Clay says or Mike says, Mike, David says, or whomever. I don't have to agree with all that. Why would I? But I got but I have an opinion and I respect others' opinions. So I got all kinds of people on Twitter saying, well, don't you read Dockage? Uh, see, you guys aren't aren't all in line with the same. Of course we're not. Why would we be? And who the hell is Mike? And if you're just joining us, I'm in a bar here at the Chauncey Hotel at Convention Center. Uh, because I got down to 1%. Do you know, being on this computer, I had it 100% charged. I just learned today, this computer cannot make it a two-hour show like this on 100% charged. So tomorrow, what I'm going to do is... <laughs> give me about... what? It, what it, and I don't understand this. Maybe you guys understand. George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven said, give me whiskey, whiskey. What does that mean? Uh, give me two shots of whiskey. Uh, one, make it fireball. I got, I got softball today. I'll tell you something. I'll just, uh, no white Russians. That's my mother-in-law, the great Sandy Ross. Uh, I will tell you this. Last time we were here, Princeton won two, Harvard won one. All right? First game was Friday, I believe. Doubleheader Saturday. So on the doubleheader Saturday, Harvard loses. So they're down two zip. Lee and I go to a local place. We get a drink, shot in a beer. We get a shot in a beer. Some little dive bar we found. Guys were great in there. So shot in a beer. We come back. Harvard wins. Tegan has the worst game of her career in the field. She's the best fielding third baseman. Tegan's my stepdaughter that I've ever seen. She throws a ball away. The coach takes her out mid-inning in the seventh, which Lee's like, yeah, she should. And I'm like, oh, boy. All right. So here's the question. Do we tomorrow, there's a single game today, possible doubleheader. If Harvard is still alive tomorrow, do we go to that same bar and have the same shot in the beer because Harvard won? Or do we not go to that same bar in between games and have a shot in the beer because Tegan played poorly? Now, that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a good old-fashioned quandary. Ryan, you've been on fire today with the closed captioning. It's been great. I'm just going to tell you, this to me was the most interesting show we've ever done. Haley and Katie and Aaron and Ryan and Dylan, I cannot thank you guys enough. Look, I would love for everybody that is currently on here to not only say thank you to you, 
If you would please hit the like button. If you would please tell your friends, because we need more shows like this. We do. America needs more shows like this. We combine sports, pop culture, some sex. We swear. We do whatever. It's great. And we link some people off, which is great. All right. I want everybody to have a great afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 